The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I want to remind you all before I start, um, I now have a whopping, um, I think, maybe 15 subscribers to YouTube. Where are all my people at? Like where I know that I don't have 15 listeners. I want you all to take the time, please, to follow me on YouTube. Today I have literally no makeup on. I look, I was telling Jenny, my guest, that I look atrocious because I have not slept in two nights because I don't sleep in hotels. And I'm going to go into that story. Um, but I am begging you to follow me on YouTube because that's what everybody's saying. All the podcasters are posting to YouTube. And it's also like, I don't want to be embarrassed. Like, I feel like a big giant, like idiot being like, guess what, everyone has 15 followers on YouTube. So yeah, I know most of you listen and you don't want to watch it on YouTube, but just take two seconds, follow me, subscribe to me on YouTube. And I always appreciate an, a, a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening. It helps new listeners find me. I work my tail off getting you guys, um, getting you guys new episodes every Tuesday. And I'm going to be honest. Um, I feel like you you need to if you're listening to me every Tuesday. I'm asking you to please help help me out and just take two seconds. If it's going to be a bad review, like turn the other cheek. But if it's a good review and you have a couple minutes, I truly appreciate your time and I appreciate the reviews. 
And I just adore you all. I know I don't know you all because I know you're listening. And I just, if you are listening, please like reach out to me. There's nothing that means more to me, honestly, than a listener that reaches out to me and takes a minute of their time to find me on Instagram at judging Megan and just say, hi, I'm, I'm Betty and I live in Australia and I listen to your podcast and whatever it is, whatever your feedback is, even if it's bad, I love hearing from you all. And sometimes being a podcaster is a very lonely existence because you look at your downloads and you know that people are listening, but you're kind of like, well, who are these people? And I'm the girl that loves to talk to like legitimately Jenny, I'm going to introduce you literally everybody. Like I will talk to people at the valet. I just like talking to people and that's why I do what I do, but it's also to help others. So I am going to start the episode in one second, but I do want to tell you a funny story. So, um, my, my daughters and I ended up doing this shoot for Marriott and, um, I somehow got roped in to playing the mother in the photo shoot. And my dear friend that I have known literally since I, since my parents were like, you know, very young and I was the, she was my first friend in life is, is at Marriott does like advertising and all this stuff. And I adore her. And she was like, Megan, we had somebody back out at the last second. Can you do this campaign? We need a mom, whatever. So I show up. I did not want to have my pictures taken and be sitting here doing a photo shoot, like these photo shoots for the Marriott website, wherever it's going to go. But I, at one point, had to do a shoot where I sat on a bed in a big, giant, bulky white robe, which is not flattering whatsoever, hideous, and had rose petals (laughs) sprinkled all over the bed and I had to be like toasting and it was so embarrassing I because I just could not keep a straight face and it was just like it was the most mortifying story ever but we had a great time um Allie I know you listen every week I just want to tell you I adore you your friendship to me is like I, I said to you we live all the way across the country but it's always one where we pick off where we left off and you're just a wonderful person. So thank you, Allie. And thank you, Marriott, for, for booking us on your, um, on your shoot. And my daughters loved it and it was really fun. Okay. Back to the show. So I am going to introduce Jenny DeBolt to you all. Um, hi, Jenny. Welcome to Judging Megan. So nice to meet you. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm super humbled by that. And I got to say, while I was waiting, you now have 16 subscribers. Jenny, <laughs> what? Look I how fast started. that was, everyone. Jenny just did that. In See the how easy that tournament. was? Thank you, Jenny. I really feel cool now that I have 16 subscribers to YouTube. I'm a true influencer and a legend in the YouTube channel that I have. It's called Judging Megan Podcast PS. Um, Jenny, uh, you reached out to me a while back to come on the podcast and we talked briefly before we started recording. And I sometimes when I meet people, I know right away, I'm like, I need to know this person. I re when I booked you to come on the podcast, your story inspired me tremendously. You are a fighter. You've been through a lot in your life. You have a book called suicide and sequins, which I want to know why the title 
If you are watching us on YouTube, you can see that Jenny looks dazzling and she's wearing a sequin shirt. So that's another reason to subscribe. Um, but in all all kidding aside, um, this is a this is a serious topic. But I do tell my listeners, if you listen to me, a lot of my episodes, especially like the past few, have been very heavy. Um, my mission is in life is to share my own story of um depression and anxiety and my own losses in life and my own battle with dealing with suicidal ideations so I can help others and help people know that you're not alone. And that's really my mission. And I think, Jenny, from what I gather, you're kind of on the same mission that I am. So exactly. thank you for coming on. And let's start with where you're from, because I always start that way. I want to I want to find out about like a little bit about your childhood and like growing up and that kind of thing. Well, I'm a dying breed. I'm an Arizona native. There's not many of us left. <laughs> Well, we go to Park. We go to Parker, Arizona. My husband and uh, he's been going there since he was a kid. So we love mm-hmm. Arizona. Do you know where that is? Yes, I don't know if I've been there. It's on the water. Uh, it's very hot, Arizona. I don't know if you know that, Jenny. It's very isn't hot. It on the way to Lake Havasu. It's on the way to Lake Havasu. Yeah. yeah. So I've I've driven through it. I've been to Lake Havasu, but I haven't stopped in Parker. Okay. Okay, well, that's if if that's my husband's happy place, he's happiest in Parker. Um, so tell me, so what was your childhood like in growing up in Arizona? Um, I I had a pretty normal childhood. I definitely had some, you know, we all have our crap with the family and stuff. Um, parents were divorced. I'm the oldest of six kids. And um, two of us have the same father, and we lived here in Arizona, and the other three younger ones lived in Colorado with my mom. So when I was 11, my mom, we only saw her like maybe in the summer or one other time during the year because she lived there and was raising kids, young kids. So um, went to high school um, because I had troubles in um, my my family, my dad and I kind of, you know, you become a teenager and you think you know everything and you know better than them. They don't have enough experience like you do kind of thing. I'm dealing so, with it right um, now. It's almost a, tw- a 12 year old who thinks she's 18. So I understand. Exactly. Yeah. So there was definitely some stuff going on there. And I ended up um, with an over 4.0 GPA dropping out of high school. So I went back and got my GED later, even though I was in honors classes, all kinds of, I already had college credits from, I I think they called them AP classes. Yeah. So I already had college credits and stuff and it just kind of got rough when I was older. And um, my senior year, I turned 18. That's, I think there's a little bit of a problem when people turn 18 when they're, they're, when they're a senior. Or there might be a disconnect at home because then you think I'm an adult. Yeah. And that didn't go very well for me, but here I am doing great things and the person that I am because of those. Yeah. I mean, the thing we talked about this before we recorded that the it's, it's interesting and I didn't think I was going to talk about this, but I will. Um, many of the guests that I have on, I would say 90% of them have been through some sort of trauma and that's why they come on. 
Um, mm-hmm. and I, and we were talking about how we're both drawn to people that have been through something in life, right? Because usually mm-hmm. people that, um, that have gone through some sort of trauma or loss or whatever it is, they just don't, I feel like we don't have time for the BS and the, and the short like stuff in life. Like I've decided on a mm-hmm. side note, especially recently, I'm like, I don't want to waste the rest of my life. It's short, you know, um, life goes by really fast. And as long as I work on my mental health and I try to stay healthy, I want to like live my life being inspired and like meeting like cool people and doing things that I love to do and living my life, meeting people that are like me and like-minded. So I find that when I meet people that are like, it's just all stupid. I don't really have patience for it anymore. We were kind of talking about that before we recorded. No. And like, there's like, we want to do work for the community and help the community. And so like, I have friends that have a ton of drama. Well, I don't, they're not close friends anymore because they have all this drama and like life minutia drama. Like it's not even important drama. I feel like it's self-created, you know, and and yeah, someone like us kind of goes, well, that's like big picture. That's, you can overcome that. I mean, actually you shouldn't even be involved in that kind of thing. Right. Or there's some people that create drama in their life all the time. And I might've been one of them a couple decades ago. I will tell you something. I am a hundred percent one of them. And, and, um, and that was just, that stems from, I mean, drama just follows me for a long time. I was, I would make a joke. I'd be like, I really want to be a real housewife. I know it would be really good. And now I'm like, I don't want to be a real housewife. I don't want to be like flipping tables and throwing plates. But anyways, let's get back to you. So you, you did struggle a little bit with family stuff, but all pretty normal, all things that a lot of kids, you know, especially kids of divorce, big families, you know, everybody has their battles that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about like your story and how you kind of ended up where you are today and the losses that you went through, because that to me, um, I'm a huge advocate of, um, you know, talking about um, supporting people that are struggling with suicide and all of that stuff. So I would love to hear your story about your book. And how it came to be. Yeah. So let's see. I, I graduated high school. I was 18 and not very far from being 19. Well, I should say got my GED. And I was working, you know, I've always been a hard worker, go get what I need, go, you know, support myself. I've never been one to like feed off of other people kind of thing. So when I was um, 21, my sister the next oldest is my sister, who's two and a half years younger than me. My sister, when I was 21, had um, a suicide attempt. Now, you're 21. I'm not even sure. I don't know. It was hard to process at that age. Like, wow, what? I don't understand what's so bad to lead to this kind of thing, you know? But um, when she had her first attempt, I kind of was, I didn't know what to do. Like, you, you almost feel inadequate like how am I going to fix this it's just it's that was really hard so um my sister had I had two boys they were um I had them when I was 21 and 23 
And then my sister had a daughter. I was a baby raising babies. Yeah. Um, so my sister then had a daughter who was a year younger than my youngest. So I had two boys that were two years apart. And then my sister had a daughter one year younger. So in the span of three years, we had three grandchildren in our family. And um, things were going great. I moved to Tucson with my husband. My sister, when I was hanging out with her one time, was like, hey, my um, the babysitter that we chose together, her and I, she said she moved into a new house and has a pool. And and I don't, I'm not sure what to do. And I said, well, you've got to take Gwyneth out of there. And long, well, maybe not even that long, my niece at 14 months old drowned at that babysitter's house. And um, yeah, I was 24. My sister was 22. Um, that's something else. Like that was a lot to process. I mean, I can't, I mean, you hear these stories about like drownings of babies and it's just like to lose a child as they say I've had enough guests on the worst kind of pain that anybody can go through in life so what how did you and your sister because you were babies how did how were you able to deal with that oh actually I was 25 not, I don't know why I said 24 but um I had to move back there to Phoenix from Tucson immediately and um it was, I can't explain to you that pain. You know why I think it hurts to lose children the most? Because ultimately we are, we are, we feel responsible for our children. So if they die, even if it's cancer or whatever, even more natural causes or a tragic car accident, ultimately you still kind of feel like they, you were responsible for keeping them safe or maybe not even giving them genetics to like get this cancer kind of thing. It's just so hard. And I'll never forget when I had my first son, I really didn't know what unconditional love was until I held him and saw his eyes. I literally was like, now I get it. Like this is really, it changed me. That's a different kind of love. And um, I think it just really affects you that way. But at the time she was her only daughter. And the only girl, on t not that that matters, is still a child. It was, it, I can't put it into words. It's so hard. It's like the most, um, my mom lost my sister at nine months. And um, the pain that I understand from what I've been told by my mom, you know, she still to this day grieves it. And my mom's in her 70s. Like, I don't think she's ever going to get over it. Because it's like, I, and I love, I, I love, I love what you say, because it is so hard to understand as a parent. Same thing. When I had my daughter, my first daughter, Sophie, um, I looked at her. This, this makes me tear up. I'm about to cry already, everyone. Um, because I felt for the first time in my life, like I couldn't believe how lucky I was, mm -hmm. you know, to have some like be gifted this love that, that I never much love that much love. And I know m most many mothers, the majority of mothers understand this. And unless you're a mother, 
you don't really, you know, you can never understand it. And then, you know, you, you go, if you're luck, if whatever you decide in life, some people don't want to be parents, that's decision. Everybody's entitled to their own decision. And I respect everybody's decisions, but I love what you said that it's like this love and it's, I also think it's that children are so innocent, you know, like you said, well, you might blame yourself because of the genetics or you might, there's a lot of blame that takes place, Mm -hmm. especially if it was a drowning, the guilt, all of that. I mean, my mom, it was not her fault. My sister died of a liver disease, but the guilt that a parent carries because that great love is gone. Like a love Mm -hmm. you'll never understand unless you are a mother, I think. So that pain is just unbearable. I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I do want to be careful about comparing grief, right? Because many people that like lose a best friend, there's no blood relation. They feel like their loss is less, it's less significant, but it's, it's really not. It's the experience of grief. Right. But the, the loss of a child is just, it just has this little thing to it. That's just that it's just a little bit more difficult, a lot difficult, I would say. Uh, yeah. I mean, when you have a, your first child, especially that it's just a wash of love where you're, you feel flooded with love. Like you just don't, you didn't know there could be that kind of love. And it's just so overwhelming that it makes you cry at the time where you're just like, this is my child. I can't believe I'm feeling this much love. And your heart feels like, I, it's just so hard to explain. But you I know, know. Unless, unless you're a mother, like that's one thing, like you'll never understand. Even like dad, mm-hmm. fathers have different, they don't experience this the same way that we do. Mm-hmm. But I, and I also appreciate you pointing that out because I've even had guests come on. Um, I had a guest that his name was Wilhelmino and he went into the twin towers on nine 11 and he rescued, uh, he went in there to save people's lives and he was trapped under the rubble for, I think, 16 hours. And when I asked him to share his story with my audience and myself, I said, well, how, like, you're this, I can't even understand your story. And he pointed out that exact thing. He's like, everybody grieves in different ways over mm-hmm. different things. So, like, when somebody says to me, which is something that used to really irritate me um because I lost my dad and my sister and my and I did lose my best friend who was my whole world and somebody would say well I lost my aunt and I so I I'm sorry to hear that I also lost my aunt or my grandmother and I used to get really mad but then you think about it like you don't know what Mm -hmm. that relationship was and how that affected them you know Mm -hmm. so I love that you pointed that out Jenny I met a lady one time who came in she was embarrassed to be because I do support groups for those who lose somebody suicide she was embarrassed to be in there because in her words it's just a friend versus you know there's parents lost their child you know siblings and she just her words just lost a friend quote unquote you know and I had to stop her we try not to interrupt but like I couldn't help myself I was like I just you know I have to interrupt you so because if someone for example if someone had nothing for family maybe they were an orphan whatever whatever their story is they had shit for family one day they meet this amazing person that becomes their everything. Like this is the most love they've ever felt. 
And they just can't even believe it exists because they were raised in a way where there was no love, you know? So then they meet this friend and they lose them. How? That was their everything. That was their first kind of any kind of love. So really grief is about the experience of the individual loss. So I, I tell people never diminish your grief by the relationship. It, it does not matter. It's, it's your experience of it. Some people can lose somebody close and they don't even really have much of an, they don't respond that way because they're at a different spot in their life and they've accepted, accepted death easier. You know, we as humans, we don't know how to experience death in the United States, especially like the concept of death is like, but everyone dies, you know? And and also oh. like people when they die, it, it's it's a reminder that whatever you think spiritually, if you are spiritually or you're not, people mm-hmm. think different things. And but it's they. I, I, this is personally what I believe. They are in a better place, and I don't mm-hmm. think it matters how they and how they died. It's us. We're left with this tremendous loss, and and and. Every loss is, and I know you've gone through a lot of loss too, is different in different ways, Mm -hmm. right? So you might grieve Mm -hmm. one way for one person, but you're going to go through it again. And I have news and I say this a lot to people. We're all going to go through loss in life. Like we're human beings. That's part of life is, is Mm -hmm. we're here for a short time and it gets shorter and shorter as I'm getting older. And it's like, you're going to continue to go through things in life. And you're going to mm-hmm. continue to go through loss. So I love that you pointed that out. Going back to your um, the loss of your niece, tell me about what happened next. Like, how did how did what was that grieving process like? How did you help your sister? Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I, I remember this one day. I went to my sister's house. I think it was the day after all of this. Well, first of all, I wanted to mention when I got the phone call from this social worker, now I know like a social worker's calling you, you need to assess the phone call. But she didn't want to tell me what was going on. It was just like, we need you to go be there with your sister. Then she said there'd been an incident with Gwynny. And I was like, well, what'd she break a leg? As if the worst thing that could happen was her biggest extremity. You know, so I was like, what? She If she broke a leg, just tell me. And the lady wouldn't tell me, you know. So the the next day, I believe it was, I went to go see my sister at her house. I just didn't want to leave her side. And it's like, we, at one point we had to go home and sleep. So the next day I go over there and I mean, she was, she looked like a doll with her glass, her eyes just glassed over. Like they didn't react to anything in the room. She was so lost in her own like trauma like could not engage with the world was just too caught up in this trauma of this experience. I mean, I can't even imagine you're, she just woke up that day and didn't have to get her baby ready or feed her daughter or anything. I can only imagine what that was like. Oftentimes I'm like, I bet she got up and went to go check the room to make sure this was real. Like this can't be real. And then only to see that her baby wasn't there, you know? But I just, I just hugged her so hard. It was so much crying. And it's like, 
it, grief is like this love that you can't give anymore, right? So you like have this this pie of love in your in your heart, and I'm just gonna throw numbers out, right? But you give like 65% to your family and close friends, and then you got like 35% for new people, acquaintances, and so your children are like a big part of this pie. And then if one dies, like now you got this pie that's gone, this big hole in your heart. And you're like, what am I, all this love you gave all the time to this person, you can no longer actively give. And that's what the grief is, is you're trying to like, you have this grief, you can't give this love you can't give anymore. You know, that's heavy. I mean, what you just said is so yeah. true. It's so it's, true. Sometimes I love is a beautiful thing, though. If we didn't grieve like that, that would mean we didn't love like that. I mean, it's so true, right? To mm -hmm. love to be to have the ability like that's the thing. Sometimes I think you pointed out in the beginning about like, you know, losses in different ways for different people. My best friend was my entire world. And sometimes I think I've thought this before. Well, maybe if I just never would have met her. I mean, it has run through my mind because the pain that I had to deal mm -hmm. with on the aftermath, even till now I talk about her and I cry. She's been gone a long time. But I wouldn't give up anything in the world to not have had those years with her. And I think people, it's a, it's a real gift to love that deeply. Those are beautiful years of love. Like, and no, and knowing like true, true love, like the love mm -hmm. of a mother and a child. It's like no other. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And the and the and the. My sister. She was my best friend, by the way. Mm. I can she, tell you love her a lot. And well, my mom left when we were eleven, so I kind of raised her too. So there was this this weird mom dynamic as well. But. Um, I actually feel like I'm blessed to be grieving. I, that's really heavy for somebody that's new in grieving. Uh, they're probably listening to that and go, "This, she's crazy. What is she talking about?" No, but, explain that. I love. I, I would love like, to know. I mean, that's how much I love somebody, like so much so that that I was able to. Um, I grieve like this. If I didn't have this kind of love and all this overwhelming happiness in my heart from them, then I wouldn't have this grief. And I feel like, I feel like the grief is just indicating that I had its beautiful love experience with this person. Uh, Jenny, because it is, I mean, I'm, I'm emotional, but it is grief stuff interesting thing but it it is it does represent I've never really thought about it that way I do think grief is a lifelong process I think it's you're never going to get over grief mm -hmm. especially if you love that deeply like it sounds like mm -hmm. you have that love in your heart and and that is a gift that's a real gift you know mm -hmm. so to look at it that way is a really new interesting perspective to me that I've never really thought about yeah. I um see grief so different. I've been through a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to get into that to the to why you wrote the book and just all so tell me then 
So I, my sister, she turned to a coping mechanism. So we couldn't get her in for medical or clinical help, mental clinical health fast enough. Like the crisis is right now. And like, maybe I don't need a hospital, but I needed a doctor like right now. So we couldn't get her in for weeks. Well, she decided she was going to drink until she got to that appointment. And then we had years of alcohol abuse. I mean, my sister went into the hospital three different times um, for alcoholism. The third trip that I took her, all three times I took her, the third time that day, she was like, hey, you want to come tomorrow for my counseling appointment? I was like, oh my gosh, there's a counseling appointment. Like, she never invited me the other two times. So the first time she was in for a day, maybe two. Second time, it was like three days. And then she was in for a little over a week, the third time. So I took her in. She asked me, do you want to go to the counseling appointment? I said, yeah. So the next morning I go, I'm so excited to go to this appointment. I get to this appointment. I knew there was an alcohol problem, but I did not know how bad it was. And, and it broke my heart that she was grieving that much over her daughter and trying to escape it with alcohol. So I go into this room. To this day, I don't know if the room was actually that small or the trauma made me remember it really small. <laughs> like, but the, the first question she asked is, my sister's name is Jackie. And she said, Jackie, do you know what your blood alcohol was yesterday? Be before I tell you this, my sister walked into that place talking with me. Like she was a very high functioning alcoholic. And she said, no. And they said, you are a 0.38. Like many of us wouldn't survive that. She was walking and talking. She was slurring her words, but she walked in with me, talking to me of sound you know, a somewhat sound mind, you know, and I, I'll never forget when they said that I felt, I felt like, like sinking in my chair. I felt like I wanted to just sink into my chair and disappear from that room. And that's when the room, I, I literally can't remember if it really was that small or it just like closed in around me and seemed smaller, if that makes sense. But I was really traumatized by that. <laughs> I mean, then they were like, give us an average day of you drinking. And it was like, I can't remember everything exactly, you know, but it was like, I wake up in the morning and I take two shots of tequila. Then I go brush my teeth and I take a couple more shots of tequila. Then I take a shot. By the time she had left her work, she was like 10 shots in, you know, then I go to work and I take the bottle in my car and, and I take another couple drinks before I walk in. And then at lunch, I come out and take some more drinks. <laughs> and then after work, I finish. And I'm in this room going, what am I, I don't, I can't even process this because then I really felt inequipped to help her because I had never dealt well, she with was, that. It sounds to me and a lot, most alcoholics, you know, are similar is you're living in a prison that you can't escape. And she wasn't dealing with her grief. Yeah. You don't want to deal with your grief. And I say this a lot that eventually you're going to have to. There's, you well, know, 
that's it's just a fact of life. It's going to come back. You deal with your grief or it will deal with you. A hundred percent. Yes. Well, it's, it's either you grieve with intention and you purposely feel your feelings and you allow your sadness and anger and all the feelings that come with it. You just allow them to happen. You let them happen. You don't judge those feelings. You just let your grief happen or you bottle it up and it will deal with you. It'll deal with you in the ways that you, you make bad decisions in life, or maybe you quick to anger all the time. And that's because you're bottling this up, you know? So yeah. It's, that's it's one very common learned. that people turn to addiction, whether it mm-hmm. be, I mean, I've admitted on this podcast, I lean on alcohol way too much, you know? Um, and I joke, I say, I love buttery Chardonnay. I do, but it's also been a band-aid for me for many years. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I've con- I'm constantly looking for ways to not have to like face that, that pain. And, and now I think in the past couple of years, it really came to a bubbling point and I have to, you know, but it, I still lean on it and I won't deny that, but to hear that she it's was interesting. In- go ahead, go ahead. It's interesting that you say that because even now I hardly ever drink, but but when I do, it's like a strong pour. And I usually only do it when I'm stressed. So it is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. And it's also like, I know, I mean, I've had conversations with friends about this, especially one of my dear friends that I adore recently. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think a lot of moms too, with kids, like, you know, you're stressed all day, or if you're a working mom and then you're dry, I mean, I joke that I call myself a mover, so I'm not really an Uber, but I'm a mom Uber. I just don't get paid. So I say I'm a mover. And then I'm trying to like juggle, like, you know, like what I'm trying to do with my life and all of that other stuff. So by the end of the day, I'm like, I just don't want to think about sad things anymore. I want to sit down and pour myself a giant chalice of buttery Chardonnay and not think. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the sticky place that I find myself in. But I think um, being open and talking about it, at least I'm kind of on my way, you know, and I, and I think that that's important to address for sure. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'll fast forward just a little bit cause we have a lot to cover. So my sister, after that, she moved to Colorado and I was like, I don't know how it would have panned out if she would have stayed, but I was like, why are you going to Colorado? Like they have way more dreary like weather than us. They have winters that are like dark and gloomy and you're going to, that's where you're going to go. They still got alcohol there. Your your grief is still going to be over there. Like it's not not like you're leaving it here. And the biggest thing I wish I would have said to her that now I know in hindsight is, can you please just let yourself grieve? Just go in your room and cry every day. Like just she wasn't letting herself grieve. She was bottling it up and just keeping it at bay because her grief came with a lot of guilt. So that's hard. You got to have a lot of courage to face that. And so she moved to Colorado and um, I got, I got this call one night on new year's 2011, new year's Eve. So December 31st, 11 
And she was like, hey, how are you? It was just really odd for her to call me. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? She said, oh, I'm doing good. Well, you know, you got any New Year's resolutions? I don't even remember if she told me one, but I remember she said that she was going to be this old lady with the cat. I was like, what? I don't even, to this day, I don't even know what the hell that means. Do you? Like, like, in, like, may, meaning she didn't think maybe she would get married or like, or like, was she married? I don't know. Oh, I never thought of it that her boyfriend yeah, like a lot of times her. people, yeah, a lot of times people joke and they're like, I'm never going to get married. I'm just going to be like old single and have a bunch of cats. I think that's what people say. Oh, yeah. I never thought of it that way because her boyfriend had just broke up with her that right before Christmas. Okay. Yeah. So that's she probably... was processing all of that. So the next day, my mom was supposed to go look at apartments with her. She was looking to move into a, a, a smaller apartment, cheaper apartment. And my mom was like, I've been trying to reach her all day. I'm like, that's weird. I talked to her last night. Oh, when I was on the phone with her that night, we never said I love you in our in our family. Like my mom said it to us all the time and we said it to her, but we never said it to each other because we were raised by our dad. And he was a great man, a great dad, was the same as my mom, did the best they could with what they had. And she said, I love you. And I was like, oh, I love you too. And I hung up and said to Mike, oh my gosh, Jackie just said, I love you. He said, oh, that's cool. I was thinking she was turning a new leaf. Like she was going to start saying, I love you. I'm like, cool. We're going to start saying, <laughs> it's so silly how we just don't say that to each other. Like we love each other, but we can't. It doesn't make any sense. Like I tell my girlfriends, I love them now. Me too. I, okay, I t- it's I so you. funny you say that. I say it to everyone. People are probably like, "You're a weirdo." We just met like three months ago, and I'm like, "Bye, love you." I tell everyone, I'm the same way. Yeah. No, like I don't want it to be too late. You know. No, it's so, he, that's a really important thing. Yeah. I'm. I know that she loved me, and she knew that I loved her. So even if we had not had that exchange of words, I don't think it would have made a difference for me because. Um, you know, when people love you, you just, we had this thing in our family, we didn't say it. So the next day, my mom, she's like, I can't reach her. And we're calling her and we can't reach her. And my, I was like, don't you have the key to her apartment? She goes, no, she, she took it from me last week. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Was her, her, is her car there? She said, yeah, her car was there. So my mom had to call the police and um, they had to break into her apartment and I was in Vegas with my husband and at that very moment I was like walking down this hallway at the golden nugget, like close to the front desk with a friend of mine and my mom called and I, of course I picked up, we're waiting to see what's going on. And she's like, scream, like it was the same scream my sister had when she lost her daughter. It, it, it just like gets to your soul. But it's this mom scream. I, so I don't know how to explain it, but she was like, she's gone. She's gone. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? She's gone, you know? And, she, and I'm already collapsed to the floor. I know what this means, obviously. And she said, she didn't make it. She's dead. How I couldn't believe it. Like I just got goosebumps. Like it's just it's so crazy to hear that. So I don't remember much. Of the, I don't remember any more of the conversation. I'm sure at some point I asked how, because by the time I was making calls later, I, I knew how. But um, she had died by suicide. 
So that night I found out like within the week after that, that she'd been calling all kinds of people that night just to chit chat with them before she died. It's so weird to me because I don't understand how that, that connection, that love like doesn't stop you. And she had like photos on the counter and she left this poem called the mask I wear. Uh, It was, you can look it up. It's powerful. But it it just talks about how I think what she was trying to say is I'm, I'm sorry I didn't ever show you. Like she, we were never really seeing her. You know, she just had this really good like cloak where you thought everything was okay. And it wasn't. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for Serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I think it's really, I think it's really common, you know, and I think that a lot of times people that are in that much pain, it has nothing to do with how much it has nothing to do with their love. You know, she, yeah, it has nothing to do with their love. And this is me speaking from my own experience. Thankfully I'm still on the planet. Um, but when I was at my lowest of low times, I, I remember being like, I love my family. I love this. I love my friends. But I just was in so such unbearable pain that I didn't see any other way out at the time. And thankfully, I'm I'm still here, and you know I got help that I really needed. But it it was it was like you're in almost a prison yourself, and especially if she was grieving the way that she was, and she was so sick, and she couldn't find 
any way to heal. So it's mm-hmm. really like when, and one thing I want to say that makes me really angry about when people, um, there's such a stigma against, you know, suicide and, oh, they're such bad people. Like they left this planet and they, you know, they took their own life. They're so selfish. They're so selfish. Oh. It's like chalkboard, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, right. And it's like, well, you don't understand. And unless you, it's like, it's one of those things, unless you're in that much pain and you're walking in those shoes at that exact time, you, nobody should ever judge or say that because you're there. You can't explain it unless you've walked in the shoes of somebody that's felt that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Or even known somebody very intimate, knew better, that just knew that they wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. Like with, with the, of their sound mind, they wouldn't do that to somebody. Like, like Yeah, because they're not, they're not of sound mind. It, There's no, and it's not even about you or actually many of them think that they're doing their loved ones a favor. And honestly, she probably, you know, this is me not knowing her and overanalyzing or whatever it is, but you know, just to the, the story of saying like, I love you. She wanted you to know she loved her. And that was like mm-hmm. a big thing. And she wanted to mm-hmm. make you laugh and talk about the cats and being, mm-hmm. you know, like reaching out to all the friends. It was like a goodbye. And I love you, but this world is just too much and I can't do it anymore. There's too much pain. Right. She left the suicide note. And the first sentence was, well, I'm sorry, I can no longer live with disease. Like she wanted to quit drinking so bad. But it really wasn't, I didn't know this then. That's my biggest regret, you know? Like I'm not guilty because I didn't know any different. Now I've just learned and grown. And what I should have told her is we need to get you into grieving. This alcohol is not going away until you grieve. At the very least, like if you don't do this grieving, it, that's not going away. Because that's what you're using to grieve. You're covering up your grief. So, which that loss was very traumatic for her because she was kind of responsible for it. I mean, she knew that the, she knew there was a risk that the babysitter had moved. The lady was an amazing babysitter, by the way. It was just like this tragic accident. Really no different than when you like accidentally leave a gallon of milk in your car. It's just this involved a life kind of thing. And she she knew she should have taken her out. And she, you know, we make choices in our lives. And, and that just wasn't the right one or a good one. And it's And it's the amount of guilt, you know, like just, and then just being so sick, like when you're that, much of an alcoholic and you're that sick, it's very common that they mm-hmm. get to a point where they take their own lives. I mean, the suicide mm-hmm. rates of alcoholics is like through the roof, especially since COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cause what it really, what it is, is it's a coping mechanism for something else that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for us to feel our, our, I don't know what to say except for this. Um, and I know like, this is what you do and you've written a book and I've analyzed these things in, on my own life and like why I'm the way that I am or why I felt the way that I felt. But I think it's so important to address 
every loss and to say to you, like, thank you for sharing that. And also, I'm so sorry. And also, I talk a lot about signs and knowing that people are with us. And like I say, my sign is um, for my best friend. That's why there's a butterfly on the cover of my podcast, because I, whenever mm-hmm. I see a monarch butterfly, I know she's with me. Do you have a sign that she's with you? And what was your sister's name? Yeah. Jackie. Jackie. Do you have a sign mm-hmm. that you know that Jackie's with you? Yeah. Uh, consecutive ones, 11, 11, 1, 11. All of a sudden I look and there's a bunch of ones. Yeah. It used to be butterflies, but now I don't see them anymore. Now it's ones. My husband, that's interesting. You say that my husband's sign is 11, one, one, and mine is butterflies. Yeah. I, I, I have it tattooed on my wrist. I'm a, I, you know, that's so funny. Cause I was thinking I was going to get a small butterfly on my wrist, but I'm too, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm too much of a wimp. So I got it with, um, this is, uh, the, a daisy, which was the, the favorite flower my sister liked on Gwyneth's grave and the purple ones are for my sister. And then the semicolon, which is for pause for suicide. And then the blue ones are for my dad. I love that. That's beautiful. By the way, everyone, not to say, if you want to see this, you can go to YouTube. Sorry. I had to lighten this up a little bit, Jenny. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you within 48 hours to a licensed therapist. Let me tell you, I obviously talk a lot about my own therapist, Dr. Nay. She's kind of been not seeing patients as much lately and doing her own thing. She's writing a book, which I can't wait to read. So I filled out the survey myself and I got matched up with the most amazing therapist. I didn't even think it was possible, but I've had several sessions and she's wonderful. So please check it out. Um, It is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional therapy service done done online um, and it serves people all over the world. And my listeners get 10% off by going to betterhelp.com forward slash judging Megan. That's 10% off your first month going to betterhelp.com forward slash judging Megan. Um, I'm really promoting it this week. Let's talk about like how you, how, how did you deal with that and how did you get so so involved after that and get in like become such an advocate for this that I almost did not survive my sister's death and um like even to this day I'm like how am I like now I get it I'm supposed to do something but for many years I was like I don't know how or why I'm here. Like, like there were some dark days. Wait, this happened to you in 2011? This happened in... 12. She died January 1st, 2012. Okay. So I lost Julie in 2011. I'm sorry. January 1st, 2008. I I lost my dad January 2012. I got them confused when I was telling the story. Yeah. Which we'll get to that next. Uh, no, but I was going to say it, it, it like 2008, I lost. 
grieving process of like not knowing how to go on. And we kind of touched on in the beginning, every loss is a different processing of grief. Where did Mm -hmm. you find yourself with this? And did you find yourself also, like, were you suicidal? Like, talk about that. Yes. Okay. I almost didn't survive. Okay. So I I don't want to go into details of that because I don't think it's really healthy, right? Those details don't matter. Yeah. But yeah, I... You found yourself yourself in the worst way. And then Mm -hmm. I like to share these stories because I like to my audience or my listeners that know might be dealing because a lot of them are dealing with trauma or loss, how you kind of found yourself to pull yourself out. So I, um, I started that year, I started wearing sequins and I had a really bad day. I would wear like something with, I didn't have a lot of sequin things yet, but something sparkly or glitter or bright. And um, it kind of got to like two, three, maybe four times a week, some weeks as the years went. And I was, I spent a lot of time angry and confused in the, in, I had a, like a four year span. I was going to this survivors of suicide loss group, which now I, I volunteer facilitate those groups, but I was going to that a lot. And I was getting ready to like start volunteering for that to try and find a, a healthy way to give back from this pain and um my dad started to have some struggles and i like took him to the doctor i drove him there got him medication um later found out he was never taking it in the first place even though i was asking him and he said he was feeling better and taking it so um my sister died on January 1st, 2008, and my my dad died by suicide on January 3rd, 2012. And that really messed me up. Yeah. Because I spent like four years really angry, kind of understanding, but really angry and blaming my sister for suicide. When I lost my dad, I realized they're very sick because my dad would not have done this to us. After what you'd already been through. Yeah. Yes. And that's when I realized that there's a sick brain, right? Like we're all, oh, your best friend's uncle's cousin had a heart attack. That's so sad. He had a heart attack. Oh, that's sad. Oh, so-and-so died from diabetes. Oh, that's sad. Oh, so-and-so died by suicide. That's selfish. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, what the hell? This is a brain. How is it different from your, your kidneys or your another major organ that fails? I mean, did they really, for me, did they really make a decision? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think they were part of any kind of decision-making logical process going on. So you said earlier, like, it's like you have this civil war inside of you. Mm-hmm. These people that die by suicide, they have this civil war and the other side won that day. Yeah. You know, and 
And also it's a very, not to talk over you, it's a very terrifying place to be too. Mm -hmm. So people need to understand and respect the, the, that you're right. The brain is not functioning correctly. There's all different kinds of reasons why people do what they do, but it is true to respect these people and, 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 and honor them just like you would anybody else, because nobody, unless they walked in the shoes of that person, understand the prison of what it's like. Right. Have compassion. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I see people that die by suicide in a very different light now. Like I immediately, Oh, I feel so like my heart just breaks for how they were feeling because they just weren't well. At, at that moment, their brain was not serving them. And I don't really understand the the medical part of it, the, you know, how everything's working. But I tell you right now, my dad would not have done that to us. So that's when I realized, oh, I've been looking at this all wrong. And that's when I really started after I, I I was very angry for about a year at my dad still, like it's part of the grief process, right? Anger. And then I started just, I made some changes. I left a company I'd been with for 10 years and was unhappy. I had these golden handcuffs on me and I decided I'm going to take a huge pay cut and leave. Cause I was really afraid that now they don't think that suicide is um, a, a hereditary gene. It's the brain illnesses that can be hereditary. Right. Um, but at the time I was like, Oh my gosh, am I going to die by suicide? So I was like, I got to leave this employer. I got to make changes in my life. I got to get, I got to like do the right things in my life to, to heal my own brain. I need to be a part of my healing. Yes. Which I, I think is really what we need to be teaching around the world, right? Is how to be a bigger part of being mentally well. And talking just, and talking about it and yes. start pushing well, it down. It. Yeah. I talk, mean, part of yeah talking, having somebody to reach out to, learning all kinds of different coping techniques, right? But right now we live in a world where everything is only, the only thing that can fix me is a doctor and some medication. But that's not really true. Those can help too. But you can also be a, a part of your healing. You know, by decisions you make, things that you do, exercise, the food we eat, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. <clears throat> so then I started doing yoga. And like that was, I think everybody should do yoga. I'm kind of on a. Tell, tell me why. And, and I, I mean this because I, I, I'm very, I have ADD and I'm very, I have cannot focus. Like even when I get a massage, I'll be like, what time is this over? Like I, my brain is always racing. And so I've tried yoga. Now I hate hot yoga. I don't like my organs cooking. Um, that no, thank you. Check please. But I do, I do know that there's so much, uh, so many studies behind how good yoga is for you. Tell me why I, I always want to ask people this. So go ahead. Yoga helps you be in touch with your breath and your body. Okay. And it brings you to right now. You're not thinking about the future. You're not, nothing matters, but right now. So it teaches you mindfulness and it teaches you how to be in touch with your breath. 
So So, meditation and yoga, do you, do you meditate too, or just the yoga? Oh yeah. I mean, you can meditate anytime you, in the beginning of class and the end of class, you can meditate. Yeah. I think I I need to, I think Jenny, I need to start doing yoga again. I, I feel like I just had a conversation with Josh. He's one of my best friends about, he's like, I started meditating again. And we were just talking about this. And I was like, I need to like start meditating and going back to yoga. I do a hundred percent agree with you when you pointed out the medicine medicine Tim, I was medicated for my panic attacks that were horrendously bad and couldn't, I thought I was dying a couple of years ago and I'm now not on, I'm not on medicine and I'm trying to find ways of coping without it. I think exercise is huge. Like you said, I walk like four miles a day with my two dogs, but yoga uh, cutting back on the drinking, maybe no drinking at all, because like you just talked sugar. about it is sugar, gut health, all this stuff is so, Im- so it's all learning that your gut is your second brain. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, we, um, we're definitely lacking in learning how to heal ourselves. And that's really what I've learned. Even I, doing, you know, trauma work, trying to deal with your childhood stuff. There's just a lot we can do to be a huge part of our healing. Yeah. What else do you do? Have you, have you done EMDR? I've not done EMDR. I'm not sure that I need it. Um, maybe I, I, I haven't felt the need to need the EMDR, but I've done hypnotherapy, which has been really good for me. Of course, I've done counseling. Um, I I do take medications. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder 23 years ago. You would never know that from me because I live a normal, quote unquote, normal, right? I live the, the normal American life. So a lot of people that are very... Um, kind of like how you talked about the stigma of suicide. There's a stigma around bipolar disorder as well, right? P- people hear that and they go, oh, they're crazy. No, they're not crazy. Like, why can get crazy? But <laughs> but that's why it's so important that you, d- you like wrote the book and you tell your story and we're sitting here today and we're talking about it. And then like, mm-hmm. I say this a lot, it's like a little like two sticks together, building a fire and then the fire spreads and people go, well, she's talking about it and she seems okay. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then it spreads and then it hopefully gets to the point. Cause our world is really, really scary right now that mm-hmm. we, and I think a lot of this stems from not talking about our problems in society that people have to have certain titles or men can't talk about their pain or they have to like mask, like I have to be the breadwinner or I have to do this. Oh, you, you- You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And then it's just like Mm -hmm. everything, like you pointed out in the beginning of the podcast comes down to American culture and just, you know, different cultures, not knowing that they can't talk about mental health when in reality, if we did, there's so much that our world would be so different. So you have a, you and I are on a mission to, to talk about this and we have to, and you have to continue to do it. And it's your purpose, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I know I don't know your dad or your sister, but I well, that's why I'm here. Yeah, apparently. I guarantee they're with you and your niece, and they're like, Jenny, you keep going. 
you tell Megan today about yoga. Mm-hmm. She needs to get in a class. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, I, you know, I swear by two main things in our mental health. Number one is daily gratitude. Like 100% will change your life. Do you write in a journal? Not anymore because I just naturally practice it. Okay. So do you wake up in the morning and you do a daily gratitude? Yeah. How does that work? All the time. Actually, my youngest, you know, he'll, he'll call me and be like, mom, listen to what happened. And I'll be like, well, at least this didn't happen. And he's always like, I can't even tell you bad stuff anymore. Like you're always like, well, at least the whole place didn't burn down. (laughs) But you know, it's naturally geared my thinking to something else. But the other thing is finding faith. And I was not, um, because of my losses, I kind of, I never, I, I was mad at God. Let's just say that. Like how my thinking at the time was how could a higher power allow this pain to happen and allow my niece to die. And then my sister to die. And like, how can he let this happen? But what I didn't understand was he didn't like, there's the enemy too. There's bad in this world. Right. It's part of life. Choosing alcohol. Yeah, exactly. We have free will. God gave us free will. So if you make decisions that lead to bad outcome, he didn't, you got to choose what decision you were going to make. Mm-hmm. I believe that right? too. I believe that yeah. too. Yeah. And so in, um, have you ever done um, active breath work? Well, once again, Jenny, I have a problem with sitting still and getting massages. So that sounds like um, a Chinese oh. torture chamber to me, but no, I have not, but I know I need to. <laughs> well, it, it's breath work where you're breathing really fast. And yeah. I may not be the best person to describe it, but in um, April of 2020, right after the lockdown, someone was like, you need to go to this thing and they do it on Zoom. I said, okay. So I, I literally saw Jesus in that, in there. I mean, I believe in that stuff. I know that people, you'll say that and people are like, oh, you're like, you're crazy. I told a story, I shared a story one time on this Mm -hmm. podcast and maybe I lost some listeners and they were like, who is this person I'm listening to every Tuesday? But um, this one time I was on an airplane. I hate flying. I'm, it's so weird, by the way. I'm such a better flyer now. Knock on wood. Um, and I, I lost my dad as a little girl. And, um, and I just, I would never, I was never able to connect with him. Like, I always feel like Julie's around me all the time, but in a weird way, the trauma of the loss of my dad, I blocked it out. I had no memories of him. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was so hard because I was so, I was like 13 and your brain isn't fully developed. Now they're saying this, the statistic was 25. Now they're saying 27, that when you're a kid and you go through grief, it's like you just, a lot, a lot of times kids can't process it. And then into adulthood, you might block stuff out. You might like, there's things that happen and I'm sitting on this airplane and I know for the sake of time, I'll make this quick. Um, and I'm, and I look out the window and I hear my dad, I hear my dad's voice that Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard since I was a little girl. And he used to call me baby doll. That's what, sorry. And he said like, Something like, I'm so proud of you. And I really heard it. And then 
like when I got, and then after that, I'm so much less afraid of flying. So I really believe in like spirituality and like what Mm -hmm. God looks like can be different for other people. But to me, I felt like at the time that was like God, like, like God being like sending me my dad, I'm really spiritual. And I think like, it's important to point out for my listeners that spirituality has all kinds of different, it can be different for everybody. So we need to respect that people Mm -hmm. have all different kinds of beliefs. But for me, I do believe in God. I am spiritual. I know that, um, I know like you, like it's, it's, it saved my life. It like my spirituality, like, and my God has saved me, you know? And, um, and so I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Really grateful. Yeah. So go on. Well, when I went to that breathing, I didn't see a person. I saw a light. Yeah. I knew exactly what the light was. Yeah. I, I can't explain it, but I knew. Yeah. I literally came out of that thing. I was bawling the entire time, like uncontrollable sobbing. Like, like ugly crying. <laughs> I am. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I started <laughs> going to church and I was baptized in September of 2020. Like I, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been missing the boat all this time. I cannot believe I've wasted all these years. Like, but you didn't, now, you were supposed to, you were, you, it, I was supposed to be on the journey in this way. Yes. A hundred percent. And so, mm-hmm. and so, and it's so common because I found myself going through grief where I ran away from the church and wanted mm-hmm. nothing to do with religion. And then I feel like there's been periods of my life where I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm angry. I'm mad at this. Why is God doing this to me? And it's, I love that you pointed out, well, that's not God. God doesn't, Mm -hmm. God didn't want September 11th to happen. God doesn't want like the horrible things in life to happen. I mean, I've been doing this now for several years. The stories that I've heard are unreal. Um, so it, that's not what it is, but it is, it is, a gift that you, for, at least for me and whatever my listeners are thinking right now, if that's not for you, that's not for you. You find your own way to process grief and whatever it is, it is. But I, I, that's just what I personally believe for me. And it is, it has changed my direction. I really started doing my book, you know, um, yeah, let's briefly, let's talk about your book really quick. So it's called Suicide in Sequins. And by the way, I love something I didn't point out earlier is that, you know what, when you said in the beginning, you were like, I had a 4.0 and you talked about being smart. You are smart. You are smart. Ah. You're a smart lady because for Mm -hmm. you to be like, I'm going to wear sequins today. I'm going to turn this around. And I, most people, I don't think would think that way, but that really, that that really like kind of like blows my mind that you like how you cannot be running around like this and be in a shitty mood. No, like I mean, Jenny, I I have <laughs> in my closet. I might have to take it out for my fifteen YouTube subscribers. Next next podcast, I will be wearing my sequin coat. <laughs> Why wait? Why wait? I, maybe tomorrow. I bought these. I bought two new sequin dresses from a friend of mine a few like four weeks ago or so, uh-huh. and she says to me. Oh, what, what's the occasion? And I was like, life. So, uh, so when you're in a, like, when you find yourself in a bad, in like a bad place, do you just go, I'm going to wear sequins today. 
No, I wear them every day. Oh, you wear sequins every day. Every day. Jenny, um, can we be best friends? I am now. Yes. <laughs> I am now. Like, I, I know we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes. This is a long podcast for me. But I'm, I'm, remember you said, we talk about saying I love you. Jenny, I love you. I love you too, Megan. <laughs> we just met, but we're supposed to be friends, Jenny. Yeah. No, I, I was wearing them like three, four times a week, maybe. My, then my dad passed and I started wearing them a little more. And I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago now, I was, I cleaned the Four Seasons Resort. And I was in the back of the house hallway where the employees are at, you know, and I had this really nice dress on like a magenta pink, my hair down. I I don't like to wear my hair down because I'm a sweater. So only in the winter, you'll see it down. It looks really cute when it's down. I had heels on. You'll almost never see me in heels. So I had heels on and the GM, like number one of this resort is walking down the hall and he says, Jenny, what's wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean? I look good. And he's like, no, but you don't have any sequins on. So it's and like I, your thing. Then I was like, it was that day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to like do this with intention now. Yeah. And so now I wear it every day. So now everyone if I'm knows going you. somewhere and people don't know me, they'll be like, just look like, look for the redhead with this. They know I'm going to show up in sequins. Look for the redhead with the sequins. That's when you know she's there. God, Jenny, you're fantastic. I love everything about you. So I want to share with my audience where they can find you. So on, on Instagram, you're at suicide underscore in sequins and underscore sequins. You can find you find your website, suicideandsequins.com. And you can purchase Jenny's book at suicide and sequins. The book's called suicide and sequins. So it's available mm-hmm. on Amazon, correct? Anywhere else? Uh-huh. Just on Amazon. On Amazon. Okay. Um, Jenny, Remember before we recorded, I was like, sometimes I meet people and I record with them and then we become really good friends. You're yeah. one of them, Jenny. We need to do like a Zoom lunch. I'll do Where a Zoom lunch at? with you. I'm in, I'm you in um, like the LA area, the beach cities. of. Also, oh, we're like on the same time. Yeah. 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 We're not even like a very long flight away. I could almost go up there for a weekend. Okay, something. Jenny, I'll meet you at the Four Seasons. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so You're like, and I, I just have my room ready. <laughs> I'll have my room ready, Jenny, or you have my room ready. Right, um, right. <laughs> everyone, uh, in closing, I hope that this episode. I know this is a heavy episode. My past couple episodes have been pretty heavy. Um, I was talking to my sister before this podcast. There's a reason, maybe, why I was talking to my sister. By the way. I always think everything happens for a reason. And and I was because telling her, yeah, it does. And I was telling her some days I just am dragging. I was tired. I didn't want to record today. And then I just am like, well, this is, I said to her, I was like, well, this is my purpose. Like I'm supposed to be doing this with my life and I'm going to live like the whole, like all of my days and keep doing this podcast for as long as I can do it because Every person that I can share your story, Jenny, with and like help one person with your story, then that's all I care about. That's that's what's important. And it's just such an honor to meet you. And now we are friends. 
Like I knew we would. No, now we're best friends. Now we're best friends. And also remember to tell people you love them. Jenny, this is so wonderful. In closing, I say this every podcast because my, I'll tell Jenny this, because my dad would say, be happy by making other people happy. So every podcast I close, be happy by making other people happy, everyone. Thanks, Jenny.